So open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 17. And tonight, at long last, we're going to end, or finish, we're not going to end, we're going to finish our study of John chapter 17. The Lord Jesus Christ has been praying for his disciples, and those disciples are all that the Father has given him from verse 2. And in verse 20, he talks about each and every one of those who will believe in him because of the elevens, because of the apostles' word. He's asking his father, as he's praying this glorious prayer, he's asked his father to keep us, that is to guard us, to guard us from the enemy, to guard us from how so easily deceived we are, to, to guard us from being drawn away, to guard us from apostasy, to keep us. He's asked his father to sanctify us. To set us apart from the world and to set us apart for himself. He's asked his father to make us one. One in him. Spiritually, one. He's asked his father that we might be with him when he ascends back to heaven. When he sits in his throne and his glory is revealed in heaven again like it was before his incarnation. He asked his father that we might be with him, that we might see his glory. The glory which, by the way, if we weren't glorified, if we had not been made completely new, would consume us. But he's inviting us to come into that glory, to share in that glory with him. It's amazing. Glory as the God-man. And I'm not going to jump back into that tonight because I would spend the rest of the time talking about that. But his glory as not... See, you can't say it. There's no way in English to say it. The only word I have is only. And it's, it's, it's blasphemous to use that word. Not only as eternal God. I mean, how can you, how can you say such a hideous thing like that? But I just did. But as the God-man, human, a real flesh and blood human like us, who is our creator, our savior, forever ruling his universe in his father's throne. The one who perfectly reveals his father because they are one. Mm. So tonight he's asked all that and he, he finishes his prayer down in verses 25 and 26 by summarizing all of that. So let's read verses 25 and 26. Jesus is praying. He says, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. He's not asking for anything else now. This is the end. He's, he's through asking. Now he's making a statement, a confident statement. And he says, O righteous Father, righteous back in verse 11 he said oh holy father and we would expect that but here he says oh righteous father 
All that you do is right. All that you do is just. There is no injustice with you. And your righteousness is terrible. It's severe because it's perfect and pure. And it's wonderful. It's right that you should hate sin and punish forever those who love sin. And that's terrible. Now I'm not saying terrible in the sense that it shouldn't be. I'm saying terrible in the sense of what awful really means. It's awfilling. This is terrible in the sense that it terrifies us when we think about it. Lest we be part of that group. It's right that you choose a people out of all sinners on all the earth to know and to glorify and enjoy you. You deserve to be glorified. You deserve to be enjoyed. That's wonderful that you would choose some sinners just like all other sinners to be saved. It's right that you save them for yourself because you deserve to have them for yourself. It's right that you should cleanse their sin by punishing it to the uttermost. And again, that's terrible. It's terrifying to think of that. Your justice requires that you punish it to the uttermost. But you can't punish it in them. You can't punish them to the uttermost because you've chosen them for yourself. And if you give them what we deserve, I'll jump back and forth between them and we. If you give them or give us what we deserve, you'll destroy us. And we won't glorify you and we won't know you and we won't love you. So it's right to impute our guilt to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's the only one that can bear it and endure it. Endure the wrath that we deserve. So Jesus says, I'll take their punishment. Their full hideous punishment for every sin of every one that you've given me. And that's terrible. And since I will fully satisfy your terrible justice, it's right for you to completely cleanse and forgive them of all their sins. That all who receive me, it is right for you to utterly forgive them of every sin that they've ever committed. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. It's righteous for him to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because the Lord Jesus Christ has made full payment for it. He's taken it all away. Hmm. And it's right for you then once I have cleansed them, it's right for you to impute my righteousness to them. And that way you can regard them as if they had never sinned. That's what it means. To impute Christ's obedience to us, his active obedience, means that it's as if we had never sinned, even though we have. And that's wonderful. So God's righteousness, his justice is terrible for all who despise and refuse him. Because on the last day, they will be judged. They'll be condemned without mercy. 
all of the Psalms, uh, Psalm 86, Psalm 145, that glory in God's mercy, that won't apply anymore. That day is closed, that door shut. And it's right that they should be condemned without mercy. Because unto the bitter end they refused him. And they will receive in full the wages of their sins. It's incredible. What they've been working for so hard all their life. Hell. They're finally going to receive what they've been working for so hard. And it's right that they should go to hell. And it's right that they should be tormented day and night forever without rest. That's terrible. But it's right. And his righteousness is wonderful for us who by grace have been given to the Lord Jesus Christ, who by grace have been chosen out of the world, by grace and grace alone, by grace who have been brought to the Lord Jesus, or bought by the Lord Jesus Christ, and who by grace the Holy Spirit has come and seized us and made us new and given us a new heart. And born us again when by grace he ensured we would hear the gospel. He made sure we'd hear the gospel. And he converted us. He made us new inside out. He radically transformed us. He gave us faith to believe all that he has said. He gave us faith to believe everything the Lord Jesus Christ has said. He gave us faith to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he truly can give eternal life to whoever he wills. And by grace his righteousness was imputed to us and by grace his righteousness gave us eternal life. And like this hymn we just sang In Christ we cannot die. So Jesus begins this last statement by saying, O righteous Father. We're moving on from that. He says, the world has not known you. You're going to get a a, a little freebie here. Gnosko is is the, the form or is the Greek verb that we translate, I know. So Think about it. Gnosko. English word. No. Anything seem familiar in there? Yeah. What you have is in Gnosko, you have that hard G sound, which over the years of being Germanized and Anglicized eventually ends up in English as a K sound. Gno. Kano. And we just drop the N and make it no. That's free. You don't don't have to pay me for that. But he says here, the world has not known you. Now, we know that the word no has more than one meaning. It can mean to merely acknowledge something, like two two plus two is four. I know that two plus two is four. I just merely acknowledge it. Or it mean to, can mean to recognize or understand something. Uh, in Luke 6, 44, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Every tree is known by its fruit. You recognize what kind of a tree it is by the fruit that it bears. It can mean to intimately, thoroughly enter into a relationship with someone else. 
Matthew 1.25 says, Joseph did not know her, did not know Mary, until she had brought forth her firstborn son. They did not have an intimate relationship until Jesus had been born. So it can mean to merely acknowledge something. Yes, I know, two and two is four. You didn't take the trash out. I know that. I, I know I didn't take the trash out. Just merely acknowledging it. And it can mean to recognize or, or to understand the character of something. Or it can mean to have an intimate, thorough understanding and relationship. And all three of those uses are here in this verse. He says the world has not recognized you for who you are. Holy, just, gracious, long-suffering, compassionate, ready to forgive. God is ready to forgive. It's, it's almost like he's leaning forward to give forgiveness. He's ready to forgive. He's sovereign. He does not change. None of these wonders about him will ever change. Yet the world doesn't recognize you that way. The world thinks you're a grumpy killjoy. That you're tyrannically indifferent to our weaknesses. You say, do this and you shall live. And we can't do it. In our flesh, we can't do it. That They think that you're a deity with a hair trigger irritability. And you're quick and eager to slap us down. In other words, they think you're a mean God. Like the pagan gods. Or they think you're an indifferent, indulgent, domesticated grandfather. Hmm. You're indifferent to our sins. Doesn't mean anything to you. you. You don't have any absolute standards. You're the ultimate intolerance. You'll tolerate anything. And it, you don't care. So you can be ignored without consequences. That's what the Lord, what the world thinks. But most of the time, the world doesn't even acknowledge you. They don't even think about you. You, you never come into any of their thoughts. Much less would they want to know you intimately. Yet I have known you. Yet I have known you absolutely exhaustively every perfection every excellence of your character I know you and I continually rejoice in you and in your love and because I know that you are perfectly righteous because I know you I can face the cross I can face what's coming I can face your justice when you pour out your wrath on me because I know that what we're doing is perfectly right. And he says in these, these 11, these have known that you sent me. They recognize that you sent me. Now, they recognize that I'm your Messiah sent by you. They don't know it perfectly. They don't know it thoroughly. Uh, even after he's raised from the dead. Even, even after he appears to them on the mountain. And we talked about this last week I think. Matthew chapter 28 verse 17. 
when they saw him there, when the eleven saw him there, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Is it right for us to worship a man? Worship God only. Hmm. They don't have a full grasp of who I am yet. They don't know me intimately yet. They know that you sent me and that somehow I'm your son. And they, because I told them, they may even have a, a bit of a grasp that I was with you forever before my incarnation but they still don't fully grasp that I am Yahweh the Son. I am their God. I am the one who appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai. I'm the one who appeared to Joshua. I am the angel of Yahweh. I am the word. Whenever, except for a few exceptions, whenever God has communicated to man verbally, it's been the Son doing the communication. The only exceptions I can think of is when the Son has already become Jesus. He is already incarnated. He's here with us and at his baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration. Then the Father speaks. But all the rest of them that I know of, this is the Son speaking throughout the Old Testament. Korah, Abiram, you think you're on the same level as my servant Moses and my servant Aaron. Israel, get away from them. And the earth swallows them alive. That's the son. That's General Jesus, meek and mild. They don't get that yet. They don't understand that yet. They do recognize that I'm on a higher level than Moses. They do recognize somehow that I am your son in some way. But they don't yet recognize that everything the Old Testament says about Yahweh is about me. John 5.39 You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and it is they that testify of me. Mm. Well, as much as I'd love to spend the rest of the time there, we have to move on from there. So, the world does not recognize you. I know you thoroughly and intimately. And these 11 recognize that you sent me. That I'm not an upstart. I'm not a, I'm not a liar. I have the testimony of John. I have the testimony of your own words on the Mount of Transfiguration. I have the testimony of, of the works that you have worked through me. Mm. But look at verse 26. He says, And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. So these eleven have recognized you sent me. And I have made your name known to them. Now we've already dealt with this before. Which is the Lord Jesus Christ has revealed the Father. For three years he has revealed the Father. Everything he says is what the Father said. Everything he did 
is what the Father told him to do. So, to see Jesus is to see the Father. That's what he said back in chapter 14. Philip, have I been with you so long and yet you don't know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Well, is Jesus saying he's the Father? No, he's not the Father. He's the Son. But he perfectly reveals the Father. He is the image of the invisible God. So, the very words that I've spoken are yours, Father. My attitude is your attitude. What you just read, Matt. Here's a leper. And he says, Lord, he's covered head to toe in leprosy. And he says, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing. Well, why did people have leprosy at that time? It was for sin. It was a punishment for sin. You, you read it throughout the Old Testament. This, whatever it, this leprosy was, this fatal disease, this wasting disease, this decaying disease, this was a punishment for sin. Remember Hezekiah. In his arrogance, he, he slips up. We better be careful about our arrogance. He slips up and decides, I'm going to go into the temple and I'm going to offer up incense to Yahweh to show how much I love God. I'm going to violate his word. And he goes into the temple and what happens? He has a spot of leprosy on his forehead and the priests grab him and rush him out of the temple lest he defile the temple. And he lived in a house separate from his family, separate from his people for the rest of his life. This is the leprosy we're talking about. A punishment for presumption, a punishment for sin. And the man says, if you will, you can make me clean. And the father, through the Lord Jesus, says, you have sinned grossly. I am willing to cleanse you. And he touched him which is in violation of the law but excuse me the law giver touched him the law maker touched him who is as God himself exempt from his own law for us touched him everything in Jesus attitudes of compassion his wrath his snarls when he turns to the Pharisees. When he looks around with anger in the, in the synagogue. When the, the man with the withered hand is standing before him. And everybody's sitting there going, is he going to heal him? I mean, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm getting off track here. But there, will he really do that? Because if he does, we got him. He's practicing medicine on the Sabbath. And he's a sinner. And the Bible says, he, Mark says, he looked around that synagogue with anger. That was God's anger. That's the Father's anger. That was righteous anger. Everything about Jesus revealed the Father. So to see him is to see the Father. To hear him is to hear the Father. To learn him is to learn the Father. And what Jesus is saying here in verse 26, I have made your name known to them and will make it known, is Father, among all of your national people 
Israel. Among all of the scholars, among all of the scribes, among all of the doctors and the lawyers, among all of the rabbis, among all who have studied Torah, among all who have studied Tanakh, the full Old Testament, these 11 boys right here understand you more than them all. I have made your name known to them. And I will make it known. What do you mean I will make it known? I'm, I'm not through teaching them. That's what he says. Now he's praying to the Father. But they're hearing it. Do not use prayer to instruct. That's a prostitution of prayer. But if prayer happens to instruct, praise God. So they're hearing this. And he says, I'm not through teaching them about you. They have a bachelor's degree in God the Father right now. I'm going to take them through a PhD. Now, how is he going to do that? He's going to be dead in less than 24 hours. Well, you know how he's going to do that. He's going to do that through his Holy Spirit when he sends his Holy Spirit on Pentecost to breathe out his words to his apostles. Now, for the sake of time, and I hate doing this, but it is late. If it was morning, I wouldn't. But because it's late, I am. In chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. In chapter 14, verses 25 through 26. In chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. Normally, I would go to those and we would read them. But you read them on your own. As Alistair Begg says, you're sensible people. Read them for yourself, you know. But Jesus makes it plain. That's how he's going to do it. The Holy Spirit is going to be his spirit. The spirit of the Father. Teaching them. That's how he's going to continue to make the Father's name known. That's how he's going to continue to instruct them in the doctrine of God the Father. After he ascends to his throne in heaven. So the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost and begins breathing out into these apostles. Into these eleven what Jesus promised that he would do. And they write it down. And we have his scriptures. And so the Lord Jesus Christ continues to teach us today about the Father. Now you do recognize that when he says this, I will make your name known. He's including us in that, in that graduate course of understanding about the Father, right? Now, I'm going to say something to you tonight. Don't let it puff you up. But it's just true. You know more about our triune God and his awesomeness. And I will use the word awesome there. This is the only valid use of the word awesome. You know more about our triune God and his awesomeness than the vast majority of regular church-going evangelicals in our country today. You know more about God the Father and his awesomeness than way too many preachers. You read your Bibles with opened eyes. You've been taught who he is. You see him as he is. You listen to careful, earnest expositions of the Holy Spirit's testimony, Jesus' testimony about God the Father, which is in the Scripture, you listen to those careful, earnest expositions of God's Word from our pastors and from the cream of the crop on the Internet. Mm. 
You read excellent doctrinal books by top reformed authors. You feed yourself on what Jesus is doing. He's made it available and you're listening to it. And so he is making the Father known to you more and more and more. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is revealing more about himself and his Father to you every month, every year. He's keeping his promise to his Father. I will make your name known. Now, he's not revealing anything new. I mean, it's more, but it's nothing new. He's not going to reveal anything that wasn't already recorded in the Bible. But he is opening our eyes to see more that's always been there. That's always been there in this once for all delivered word of God. Hmm. And the reason he's still enduring us. The reason he's still patiently teaching us. Look what he says. So that. That's a purpose statement. The love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, what does he mean by this? That sounds staggering, and it is staggering. He means two things. First of all, that we might... Now, notice what he says here, that the love with which you love me may be in them. That's a subjunctive. That means it's not happened yet, but it's going to. There's a possibility that we might realize... The Father loves us with the same incredible love with which he loved his only begotten Son. That we might realize that. You you see, we're scared to go there. We know who his Son is. We know the quality and extent of the Father's love toward his Son. And we're hesitant to believe Jesus when he says that you might realize that the Father loves you with the same love he loves me. Look up at verse 23. I and them and you and me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know. Not just the disciples, but that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Kathos. In the same way that you loved me. That's staggering. That's mind-boggling. Because we know who Jesus is and we know who we are, right? But it's true. That we might realize. I'm going to continue revealing you to them. So that they might realize That the love with which you love me is in them. The more Jesus teaches us through his Holy Spirit about his Father, the more we realize that his Father is not like us at all. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Who would say love your enemies? Only God could love us exactly the same way that he loves his son.
Only the Father. I've got to be careful. I don't want to differentiate and say that Jesus is somehow not God. Only the Father could love us in the same way that he loves his Son. And maybe someday we'll have an opportunity to get into the doctrine of God's love and just sit there and marvel at him. You see, we're petty. He's gracious to the max. We love because we're loved first. Admit it. We love because somebody loved us first. He loves because he is love. We love to be loved in return. He loves even when it's not returned. Remember agape? The definition of agape? Even when it's not returned. And he knows in advance it won't be returned. And he still loves those who reject him. Our love can fade away. His love is as unchangeable as he is. As Song says in in chapter 8. And I'm paraphrasing here. His love is even stronger than death. It won't fade away. The Lord Jesus Christ keeps teaching us through his word more and more so that we can realize more and more how amazing, how awesome, how delightful our Father is. That's the first reason why he's continuing to teach us. The second reason is that we might more and more realize that this God really is indwelling us. See, Israel had Yahweh among them. He said, you're my people. I take you to be my people. I choose you for my people. Sovereign grace, I choose you to be my people. I'm going to give you this wonderful land. I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. And I will be your God and you will be my people. I have sovereignly, graciously chosen you. But the benefits are conditional. That you stay faithful to me. That was God's covenant with Israel. And he came down and lived among them. He lived with them. The only thing is he was with them. He was among them. But he was apart from them. He's in the tabernacle. Now God's there. We see the pillar of fire. We see the pillar of cloud. God's there. Yahweh is there. Our God is there. But I can't go talk to him. I can't meet him. I can't pray before him face to face. I can't tell him in his presence all my gratitude. I can't meet with him. I can't fellowship with him because he's behind that curtain, behind that veil. And if I'm so presumptuous as to go behind that veil, his holiness will consume me and I won't even be a cinder. I will drop dead immediately because I'm still sinful. I'm still a sinner. Yes, by faith, and yes, by sacrifice, and yes, by obedience and trust. He's covered my sins. He's atoned my sins. But he's not yet taken away my sins. And then Jesus comes. And what 
as, as Erica said, what these faithful, believing Israelites, what these godly people who longed to please Yahweh and longed to serve Yahweh and who paid the price for trusting Yahweh, what they longed for but what they could never have, Jesus shows up. And as John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And on the cross, he took our sins away. And as we said before, earlier this evening, now he's imputed his righteousness to us. Now we're clean. It's not just that our sins are covered. They're utterly forgiven. They're removed as far as the east is from the west from us. And now because he's cleansed us, he can come and live not just with us, but in us. We become the tabernacle. We become the temple. And again, that's hard to believe. To think that Christ in me is a reality. Christ in me, the certain assurance of glory is in me. But it's true. And he promised. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You see. God's covenant with Israel was conditional. I graciously have chosen you out of all the people on earth. I graciously promise that I will give you Canaan. As a matter of fact, even while they were rebelling. After uh, kicking against his provision for them. And not trusting him. He said, and they repented. He said, okay. Yeah. I'm going to give you the promised land. You're getting that. But I'm not going with you now. I'll send my angel. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But don't cross him. Because he won't put up with you. You do everything my angel says to do. Or you're toast. But I'm giving you the promised land. I'm not going with you. What did Moses say? If you're not going with us. If you're not going to be there. Don't give us. Don't send us a foot from this place. Just leave us here in the desert to die. That would be better. But we have him in us. And he promised. By grace. By grace, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. And that's why Jesus says, I will make your name known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. And they might realize it. They might believe it. And they might rejoice in it. Stand with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all people here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And we are dismissed. <laughs>